Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm the host of Manchester Living Podcast and a partner at Manchester Living. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There is a lexicon of elder care terms on the website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. All right, let's jump in. Today, we're talking about aging in place. First, we're going to get to new and noteworthy. An 88-year-old woman uh, in Lincoln, Rhode Island, fitness instructor, has no plans of slowing down. Let's roll the clip. One, two, three, four. Twice a week for as far back as she can remember. Five, six. Irma Mershon has been a go-getter when it comes to looking and feeling good. And I said, exercise and get paid? <laughs> I'll do it, yes. Two, three, four. Tap, tap, one. In fact, this video was taken in 2007 as Health Check reporter Barbara Morse highlighted her efforts to get people going. Toes, knees, waist, shoulders. And all these years later, she's still doing the same thing. They know the routine. In fact, they're ahead of me sometimes. Like, they know what's next. Twice a week at the Lincoln Senior Center. I love it. I love it. With about 30 participants in their golden age, the 86-year-old moves a mile a minute. Let's go. You'll never meet another one like her. <laughs> and don't think for a second, there's such a thing as too tired. Put that heel out. She is like my <laughs> army sergeant when I was in the army. She makes you move, boy. For an hour straight, Irma's workouts keep people on their toes. Right. Right. I ha have to learn my left from my right. Her goal is to lift everyone up, something she does even before the class starts. Why do you guys come every week? You get out of the house. Socializing. For Irma, this class is her motivation, giving her a sense of purpose, having lost her husband, Herb. In July, will be three years. To Parkinson's. And many of the ladies in the class have lost their husband so they can sympathize with me. At the end of her class, everyone is given a piece of hard-earned candy. I told my husband, I said, you know, Herb, these are life-saving exercises, and I think I ought to give out life-savers. He said, do it. She's adorable. She's also my friend Faith's mom. Way to go, Irma. Stay strong and keep up the good work. All right, we're jumping in today talking about aging in place. My guests are Amelia Borland, O-T-R-E-C-H-M with Higher Standards Caregiver Training. Those acronyms stand for? OTR stands for Occupational Therapist Registered. It means I am a nationally registered occupational therapist. I'm licensed here in the state of Texas. And ECHM stands for Executive Certificate of Home Modification, and that's from USC's Leonard Davis School of Gerontology. More acronyms. Jeff Gill, PTDTP, Chief Executive Officer at Optimo, Optimove Physical Therapy and Wellness. Your acronyms stand for? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, PT is Physical Therapist. Uh, DPT is Doctor of Physical Therapy. And I'm a former uh, uh, CSCS as well, which is a Certified Strength Conditioning Specialist, which was my previous career. Fantastic. Lots of credentials, and I appreciate you guys being here today. Uh, Jeff, let's start with you. What are some common myths about aging in place? You know, I think a lot of it is the assumption that, you know, probably a sense of inevitability and um, what what can our parents actually really get back to doing or what can what's the downward spiral that tends to occur and is this just just inevitable because they're getting becoming a certain age and while age is a factor there's lots of things that can be done um, to prevent the problems uh, that occur uh, with 
the prevention of aging, of aging in place, if that makes sense. Sure. So um, aging, while it is inevitable, obviously, a lot of the common uh, consequences that come from aging are, are not inevitable. And there's lots of things that can be done basically on the front end to promote people staying active and independent in their homes or wherever they want to be. And so um, they, they can remain active and independent in their homes. They don't necessarily need to go to another place and they can thrive in their home as well. Great. It is not inevitability that they will just decline, decline, decline. Even if they age in place, they don't have to decline. They can thrive and even do things um, that they haven't done in five or 10 years, just getting the right things in place and sometimes even lo longer than that. So, Yeah, Amelia, you want to add to that? So there are, I think, a lot of misconceptions about what it means to age in place and how to successfully age in place. I'd say that there are like kind of three big myths that come to mind from my perspective as an occupational therapist and as someone who works in home modifications. Um, the first is that a lot of times people make the assumption that as long as they have a house that is one story, that house is going to fit them and, and make all of their needs um, met for aging in place. Um, the second big one is that you don't need to start planning for aging in place in terms of your environment. And of course, in terms of you know the whole big picture until you start having problems or until it looks like you might not be able to be in your home anymore, if that kind of makes sure. sense. Yeah. And then the third big one I think is that um, just anyone can come in and make your home safe for you. That is a, a really big misconception that a lot of people have. And I have unfortunately seen so many situations where I'm called in after the fact, after someone else who's maybe is very well-intentioned, but doesn't have necessarily that same skill set. Um, and then we're trying to fix problems that someone else created. And so don't, that is not good. Don't have the plumber do the electrical work. Don't have the plumber do the electrical work. Frankly, it really does. If you need to have construction done, and not everyone has to have construction done, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, there are often solutions that can fit into many different price points and depending, you know, on the needs of the person. But if you do need to have construction done, if even if it comes down to like placing a simple grab bar, you really need to call in someone who, who works in that area, in that field and knows what they're doing right. because these are not the same skill set. Not all grab bars are the same. Not all grab bars are the same. So segue into what are some of the common mistakes people keep people make when preparing their their home for aging in place? Um. So a, a lot of times when people are thinking, and tell me if I'm getting too granular here for you, but there are some really common ones. One is grab bar placement, mm -hmm. right? Um, a lot of times people think just having the presence of grab bars is going to make them safer or be an all-encompassing solution. And it's absolutely not. Your grab bars really need to be placed strategically so that they are going to fit functionally into your life so that you can use them and you can use them safely. Um, of course, they also really need to be mounted safely as well. That's a big problem that I see are grab bars that are not properly mounted um, or not properly placed. And then they can end up becoming more hazardous actually. Yeah. Um, another really kind of common mistake that I see is a lot of times people think that the best thing that they can do to prevent them from falls in terms of their flooring is to have a really nice, soft, thick carpet. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the thought process behind that does make sense, right? The thought process is that if you have that nice thick carpet, then when you fall, you won't get hurt. Right. But we want to prevent those falls from happening in the first place. And you can think about that nice thick carpet the same way as like, um, as, as if you're walking on a beach, yeah. right? So if you're walking on the nice firm sand right by the ocean, then it's easy to keep your balance. As you go up into the sand that's kind of, uh, you know, more loosely packed and mm -hmm. you have to, it, it takes more effort, you're more likely to lose your balance. And your carpet is just a less exaggerated version of that. So we actually want to, most of the time, have a hard level surface floor to prevent falls from happening in the first place. Yep. We were talking before the show about walking into a home and you see things differently. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you walk in and it's, you know, an elder couple who have, they have their antiques and they have their favorite, their, their throw rug from when they were a kid, trip hazard, trip hazard, trip hazard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at what point is a good time, Jeff, you want to attack this? What, at what point is a good time to start talking about and preparing to age in place? When you start seeing that, when you start seeing that there's a, well, I guess uh, aging in place, I guess it, I guess, uh, Amelia, you talked about the over-preparation, right, versus the under-preparation. Mm -hmm. So where's that balance? So you can over-prepare, you can put things in place that, you know, the problem isn't even there yet, but we're preparing way ahead of time. We don't even know what to prepare for uh, until we get a little bit closer. And at the same time, we run into the problem of, um, we haven't prepared at all. We've done nothing to prepare. And then the warning signs have been here for a long time that we needed to start preparing. Um, and now we're in, we're in a big mess and we're trying to uh, put out fires. Uh, so we do know that if there is not a balance problem um, and you know, there's not a, a mobility problem that making you know, home modifications is, is not necessary. It's when there starts to become a balance problem. And can, again, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Amelia, because you're the specialist in that. But uh, when there starts to become a balance problem or a mobility problem, we need to begin to think about those things. And again, it's not always uh, we might, what we might think. Uh, so for instance, you know, the carpet can also cause problems as well. Just the simple idea of it prevents the person from turning their chair out all the way, right? So now they start developing a movement problem because now they're just pulling themselves up from the chair because they can't turn the chair out because the carpet is in the way that they may have well intentionally put down as padding, correct? So their movement begins to change, but also the fear of falling also is a problem as well. And if we overly hype the, um, I'm of a certain age and uh, I'm at risk for falls, I'm at risk for falls, if we're just drilling this into people, um, and the doctor's drilling it into them. The doctor's saying, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, which is we hear all the time. Uh, the kids are saying, don't fall, mom, don't fall. That fear falling in and of itself increases risk for falls. Hey, Jeff, has saying don't fall ever stopped someone from falling? <laughs> or my favorite, oh, I don't intend to do that. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm not right. going to fall. I don't, I'm not going to fall. So the, uh, by not intending to fall is um, realistic if the right things are done months ahead of time so then working on uh finding you know uh, if there is a balance problem for instance finding the root cause of the balance problem and then getting those things addressed um that's how you prevent the problem from happening that's where well i don't intend to to fall that's where you are implementing action to i don't intend to fall because now it's realistic because you're doing the right things on the front end it's you know beginning to think about home modification when you start seeing that well there might be a problem here um 
I'm those are the things I'm referring to. Go ahead. And, but yeah, I want to hear that. Yeah, Absolutely. I want to hear that. Um, so, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the deal. When we wait to implement home modifications until we find that we're having problems, um, there are a couple different issues with that. One is that it takes time to implement home modifications. It's not always, although a lot of things that I come in and do with people can make instantaneous changes. If construction needs to be done, that can be a long and drawn out process. Mm -hmm. And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Exactly. The other part of that is one of the benefits of home modifications is that it actually helps people, and there's research demonstrating this, is that when we can plan ahead and make sure that our homes are accessible regardless of our condition, mm -hmm. then it actually helps us to stay healthier and prevent some of those physical problems from manifesting themselves in the first place because we are more active and moving through our home. And if our home is safer, then we are less likely to accidentally have a fall that that leads to, you know, this cascade of, of events yeah. that we want to avoid. So I really think the best time to start planning for aging in place is when you decide that that's what you want to do. And I know that that can go back a ways, mm -hmm. but you know, thinking realistically about it, if, if you have a home that you believe that's where you're going to be and you have every intention of being there and aging there, then think about what steps you're going to need to make that home truly accessible for you regardless of what is going on with you physically um, uh, or in some cases even even cognitively, yeah. right? Um, you you want to be planning for that future. And that's actually part of why you do need to call in an expert because it is my job to understand all of the possibilities, get to know you and understand the potential of what that future could look mm -hmm. like and provide options. And that's the job of any you know, true expert going in to do that. And I guarantee if you are working with someone who can help you be forward thinking, it's going to be better for your budget. You know, the, the sooner you start, the sooner you can kind of plan out these things that you want to do. It doesn't have to be a whole giant project that you do at once. Right. You can do it over time. Um, uh, but the sooner you start, it's going to save you money. It's going to keep you more active. It's going to increase um, how much social participation you can have in your own home, right? Yeah. Because more people can still come over and see you. The The benefits are literally like boundless. And again, it's not just my opinion. There's a ton of research that demonstrates this to be true. I'm, I'm hearing a common theme, preventative mm -hmm. and planning. Mm -hmm. Preventative and planning. And I think that's a really important message because people call us in our industry, people call us typically in crisis mode. Oh my gosh, mom's getting discharged mm -hmm. from rehab in two days and her house isn't ready. What do we do? Yeah. And then they're in crisis mode and now they're in emergency mode and they're going to throw up grab bars. They're going to remove the rug. They're going to do all this stuff. And then they're going to change that living environment where plan ahead, put some grab bars up in place where they can learn how to use them and live in their own environment with the modifications mm -hmm. before they need them. We tend to see like one extreme or the other. We tend to see, you know, the people plan way ahead of time and then may not necessarily know what's coming. And we also see that there's no thought at all to it. I think it's uh, beginning to think about where are the smaller things uh, early on that can be done, beginning to think about it. So, the, you know, a double-sided tape on the rugs, or we just need to remove a lot of this clutter so that the home is safer. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, is this house 
is this older house going to be appropriate by a time uh, that we get to whatever age? And then so we can begin to think in advance, are there simple things about this uh, older home that we want to stay in that we can just make in advance, such as widening the doors or, you know, things. Or taking a door off. Taking yeah. a door off yeah. or, you know, opening up the place or whatever it might be. We can begin to think about those things on the front end. Um, and so what are the smaller things that can be done? And it doesn't have to be a massive overhaul uh, long in advance. It can be uh, smaller steps along the way. How do you address the independence issue when people say, I'm not using a walker. I'm not, I'm not adding a grab bar. I'm not doing this because I'm independent and that's weak. How do you address that? I think that that's a really delicate issue to talk about with people um, because no one wants to feel like they need something. Mm -hmm. No one wants to feel as if their independence is being taken away from them um, or as if they are becoming disabled. And a lot of times that is the perception of what it means to be using things like a grab bar or a mobility device or you know any kind of adaptive equipment. Um, so for me, that always starts with just an open conversation, understanding the perspective of the person who I am maybe recommending mm -hmm. use those things and kind of getting down to um, what their real goals are for the future. And then it's about helping provide them with options and education that hopefully demonstrate how using that equipment helps them achieve those goals and helps them stay independent. When I recommend equipment or when any, frankly, occupational therapist or physical therapist, correct me if I'm wrong, but whenever we recommend equipment, it's always with the intention of keeping people independent, never taking independence away. Right, and that's the challenge of empowering them to say, this is gonna help you stay active. Yeah. This is gonna help you stay independent. Mm -hmm. There's, got, there's a psychology behind it. Mm -hmm. And the other question is, why do they need the assistive device? Is it the correct assistive device? Is there something that can be done to where the objective is to remove the assistive device? That's my favorite thing to do is, um, okay, do you need a walker, one? Um, and then what type of walker, what type of device? Uh, a lot of people go to uh, canes, and that's a whole other topic. Um, but if you need a walker, can we focus on just using it for a temporary period of time, but let's improve your physical abilities to the point where you no longer need one. Why do you need a walker? There's always a specific reason why someone has a balance problem. It's right. not just because of age. It's not just because of inevitability. There's always specific reasons and usually multiple reasons why. And the vast majority of the time that those specific reasons can be addressed, you find the root cause of the problem and you can put in place individualized specific solutions and empower that person to get off the walker or the cane or whatever it might be. And also along the way to make sure that they have the correct device. Now, um, let's say that you go along the process of working on getting off the walker and let's say that the outcome does not happen, which of course does happen. Things come up, uh, you know, another hospitalization or um, things can interfere with that. Um, it's, it's not a certain thing when you put a plan in place but what tends to happen is the acceptance is much better by that point. When you give it your all, you give it your best shot, and you're better physically using that device. You're much better balanced, and your physical abilities are better, and you're happier because you've given everything you can to improve your physical abilities, to find the root cause of the problem, and then the uh, psychological state 
uh, is is much better. Hypothetically, someone falls. Is that an in- inevitable downward spiral? No. No. Une- unequivocally, no, I think, <laughs> right? Um, so often it becomes a down- downward spiral because... For, for a lot of complex reasons, which we could spend a whole other episode on. That's a different show. That's a whole show. episode yeah. or semester. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but, but honestly, no, I don't think so. There are lots of things that we can do, especially as a team between occupational and physical therapy. There are a lot of things that we can do to help get that person back to a quality of life and potentially even a level of mobility. I think Jeff can probably talk a lot more about you know that particular aspect than I can, that, that would give them a good quality of life. A lot of times when things go poorly after a fall, it's because people don't get enough intervention or they don't get the correct intervention in order to actually successfully recover from that fall. No, don't get me wrong. It can be an extremely challenging process. The person has to want it. And they need to be working with a team of of therapists and doctors and other individuals who they have a good relationship with, that they feel like they can trust them. Because a lot of times, as as Jeffrey pointed out earlier, fear, I think, can be a huge obstacle in fall recovery. Um, You know, people being afraid of falling again. But I I really think that there's so much that we can do from um, a physical rehabilitation aspect from a home modification and environmental modification aspect, even, you know, a task adaptation aspect, we can give people back a lot of what they have lost, if not sometimes all of it after a fall. But we have to be intentional about it. We can't just, um, we can't just, you know, kind of like show up and run through a procedure. Can't and wing it. We, you can't wing it. Right. You have to be intentional about it. How do you address those issues with people with dementia, with memory problems? They don't remember to call for help. They don't remember to use their walker. What do you do? Um, So as an occupational therapist, I would address that in a few different ways. Um, One is by thinking about, because as you said, folks who have dementia or other kind of cognitive impairments may not be capable of new learning anymore at a certain point. So we want to try to fit what they're doing, what we're trying to rehabilitate them with mm-hmm. as much as possible into natural functional activities. Um, and that's something that occupational therapists do and are, are supposed to, to do regardless of who we're working with. The other thing that I'm thinking about from an environmental perspective is I want that environment to be set up in a way that's going to naturally allow them to function and perform whatever activities they need to perform and move through that envi- environment in the safest way possible that's going to promote as much activity and comfort as possible. I'm sure though, I'm actually, I'm really interested to hear Jeff talk about this. Right, right. This is his jam. Yeah, right, but back to the uh, previous question, right? So about uh, someone falls, you know, what happens, the most powerful, impactful thing you can do is basically what happens right away when it happens and the way you respond, that's the most impactful thing. And you can use the fall as basically a springboard towards completely changing the person's life, completely changing their trajectory uh, going from a gradual, very gradual uh, uh, downward hill uh, to springing up into somebody who becomes phenomenally uh, physically capable. You address the root cause of their physical challenges and you can prevent a lot of problems in the future. Now, sometimes it's not that 
dynamic, but the main thing is how do you prevent that downward spiral? It's the way you respond immediately. And then for instance, with our, with our clients, uh, when they fall, we were, you were able to get there to them quickly and we're able to intervene immediately. Sometimes it's uh, calling or communicating directly with, with their physician on the spot and to be able to implement things right away. Other times it's addressing, um, why they fell immediately screening for injuries. Do they have a broken hip? Do they, do they need to go to the ER or do they not? And so we can screen for those things. We can screen those things on the spot. We can uh, address the reason for the fall on the spot. And here's the biggest thing, whether it's conscious or not, once someone has fallen, there's that fear of falling. They begin to change the way they move. They are afraid of falling and their body responds differently. Uh, most of the time, it is a conscious fear that they're now afraid of falling now that they've fallen. But what can also happen is they start noticing symptoms, sometimes even delayed, you know, a week or two, where they have they start moving differently, they start behaving differently, they notice that they are afraid of falling or afraid of doing things, but in their mind, in irrational way, the simplest way to put it is their nervous system is afraid of falling, mm -hmm. even if they're not consciously afraid of falling. And we, we, we were talking a second ago about people with dementia and they forget to use their walker. Well, when you think about what you're doing, I see people say, okay, grandpa's going to sit in his favorite chair today. Let's take his walker and move it so he can have some space around him. Well, that walker being in the closet while he's sitting in the chair, does does nobody, it doesn't do anybody any good. So keep that walker in front of him mm -hmm. so he knows when he stands up to grab it, or at least it's right there. Just like my lunch when I leave out the door, right? The lunch goes it, directly in front of the door. Exactly. It does not go to the side because I will bypass it. I right. will forget it. Yeah. Unless if that lunch is barricading in front of the door, it's, it's little things like that. And so if they need that walker directly in front of them, at least that walker is better than no walker at all. And again, right. these are very individualized um, solutions. And so it, this is not a one size fits all, but it's things, it's, it's a thought process. It's a thought it's process. A thought process. It's kind of like, put, you know, we, we need our, our elder community to stay hydrated. So having a glass of water when they're watching TV on this nightstand is not as beneficial if it's right in front of them. Yeah, so get a TV tray. They're not going to stand up because there's a glass of water in front of them on a TV tray. Little things like that. Tools and tactics matter. That's actually, uh, again, hopefully not getting like too nitty gritty, but that's kind of an important thing to know about folks who have dementia is at a certain point in time, they actually stop visually scanning. Mm -hmm. They see a very small kind of um, a view of their vision. So if something is out of sight, it is out of mind. And if something is off to the side, they're not going to scan and look for it. They're not going to notice it out of their visual, out of their peripheral vision, and they're not going to remember to look for it. So it really is important when we're thinking about designing environments for folks who have dementia that we are designing it in a way that is going to direct them to do the things for themselves that they can do safely um, and direct them to those things that they actually need to do, like drink water. Yeah, like drink water. Uh, something came up a second ago, and it made me realize there's another acronym. We're talking about PT and OT. Uh -huh. What's the difference between PT oh, and OT? Oh, good question. All right. That's <laughs> another go, episode. You want to go first? This, I always say this industry is riddled with acronyms, and I try right. to keep the lexicon updated, but why don't you uh, dis uh, talk about the difference? There's there's two there's two distinctions. Uh, one is, um, well, I'll just speak for the state of Texas because that's what we're fam most familiar with, but um, at least Amelia and I. So um, there's a difference between what the – the state license allows you 
uh, to to do versus what is tends to culturally happen in healthcare, if that makes sense. So uh, people, uh, one thing that people tend to think is, oh, occupational therapists work on the upper body and the arms and physical therapists work on the legs and all that stuff. That's more of a cultural difference out of necessity in some uh, facilities such as hospitals and skilled nursing and things like that, almost out of necessity, but it's not like a practice act difference where the physical therapist does not work on the arms. Because uh, if you go to outpatient physical therapy, we work on the arms and things all the time. So there's a cultural difference, um, but there's also then a, a, a legal difference. Uh, simply, the physical therapist will help you get to where you need to go, such as the restroom, a shower or whatever it may be. And then to be able to physically do the things that you need to do, let's say like your balance or strength or whatever it might be. And this is a full spectrum. The occupational therapist will, in the spectrum of things, teach you basically what to do once you get to that location. Let's say you get to the toilet or you get to the shower. What do you do once you're there as far as the actual things in your life that you need to do and understand the confusion comes because there's the full spectrum in between where the occupational therapists, of course, are doing like 75% of the things that the physical therapists are doing and vice versa. And so I think that's also where the confusion is. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think even that to a certain extent is sort of, we almost have that distinction of like the PT gets you there and then the OT does the thing with you when you get there almost as another like, um, almost kind of artificial way of just making sure there's not a, a, a perceived overlap of services. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, my job as an occupational therapist is to think about your occupation. And by that, I don't mean the job that you have. Yep. Um, it's defined really broadly. It's literally anything that you need to do, have to do, or want to do. So for me, that goes anywhere from um, helping people to sleep, um, to use the toilet, to do rehabilitation for workers injuries it's a really broad Full scope spectrum. it's a yeah. huge scope yeah. of practice and um so some of the tools that i have in my toolkit versus what a physical therapist might have in their toolkit are a little bit different um in terms of uh occupational therapists tend to do a lot more uh environmental modifications um we also are focused on the activity itself um and how that can be modified as well as the physical characteristics of the person um, it is honestly, it's, it's a, it could be like, we could do a semester long course mm -hmm. probably on the difference, but a lot of it is there's not one per one is not more valuable than the other. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think that we work best together Go as a hand. team. Yes. Um, mm. uh, but it's really in some ways, just a different, a difference in the perspectives of the way that we're looking at a situation and some of the tools that we have in our toolkit to kind of manage that. Okay. And I think the key there is that interdisciplinary approach. Mm -hmm. So the physical therapist and speech therapist working together to fig to problem solve, um, for the patient or the client that we're working with, uh, individually in a customized way in an individualized way, what do we need to do as a team to get them to where they want to be? Jeff, what haven't I asked you that I should? Well, there's, uh, let's see, dizziness and vertigo, and uh, yeah, which is, of course, uh, my, yeah. my bread and butter and everything else. So uh, one of the most common symptoms that uh, people over the age of whatever will, will come in with uh, to the doctor's office. And the biggest conception about dizziness is that's because of age or it's just kind of blown off because 
we don't know what to do. We meaning almost, you know, everybody. Um, and the main thing to know is dizziness is not just a part of aging. It, there is always, always, always a reason for the dizziness. And there's always a reason for the balance problem. It's never just because it might be medical or uh, medication, which is a good place to start. But usually actually it's a, it's all encompassing into other reasons. And the older the person gets, the more complicated dizziness and balance problems and vertigo becomes. And then try, you know, separating the difference between dizziness and vertigo and unsteadiness and balance, even with individual clients, can be a problem the older that people get. Amelia, what haven't I asked you that I should? Um, honestly, you've asked so many great questions. I really want to share a resource for people who might be looking for occupational therapists to come and assess their homes for aging in place or for other home modification reason, reasons. Um, so there's a website called the uh, Home Modification Op Occupational Therapy Alliance. It's hmota.net. And that's a great place where you can go and find wherever you are in the country, you can do a search for an occupational therapist who works in home modification in your area. That's great. So that's a really important resource for people to know about. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the nugget portion of the program. People often ask me where I get my material for the show. I've seen the entire internet twice. This particular <laughs> this particular clip was sent by a viewer and I wanted to share uh, feature this grandmother rocking out. So roll the clip, please. Grandma just killed Rob Zombie. Good. All right. Age is just a number. Rock on. I love what she's doing. Um, lightning round. Let's keep it quick. There's an opportunity for viewers to get to know each of you outside of your clinical world. Where were you born and raised? Bettendorf, Iowa. Where were you born and raised? Born in Garberville, California. Uh, raised Las Vegas, Nevada. College and degree. University of Iowa degree in health promotion, double minor in integrative physiology and psychology, and physical therapy school was UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth, doctor of physical therapy. College, <laughs> college <laughs> and degree. Uh, undergrad, University of Texas, Austin, degree in psychology, and my uh, graduate degree is from Texas Women's University in master occupational therapy. Oh, we're smart. Can you write in cursive? Yeah. Can you write in cursive? Preferably. Oh. Preferably. Not so I much. I mean, I could. That's I how really I took tried. notes during college. Nice. Yeah. Ever lived abroad? No. No. Dream car? Chevy Traverse, and I'm driving it. Dream car? Tesla. Nice. Mountains or beach? Beach. Mountains on the beach. iPhone Bagel. or Android? iPhone. Android. Ooh. Karaoke, yes or no? Not me. Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, you meet your 18-year-old self. You're allowed three words. What would you say? Be more patient. You're not important. Wow. You guys are great. Thank you for being here today. Appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise. Um, what's the best way for viewers to reach you if they want to get in touch with you, Jeff? Uh, 
Call us at 214-712-8242 is the best way. What's the best way for viewers to reach you? They can send me an email. And your email address? Amelia.Borland at AIPCTherapy.com. Fantastic. They'll flash that on the screen okay. as well. Thanks for watching today. Um, if you want to see this episode or past episodes, you can dial us up on iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your social media. Just search Manchester Living Podcast. If there's anything I can ever do for you, please reach out directly. Thanks so much.